box. Out of the box. Out of the box. Out of the box. Meet people through their music. With Ash Bertabez on FBI. Yes, indeed, you are listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio, and we are out of the box today. Have left the studio, gone up to Newcastle, recording during the This Is Not Art Festival, which happens in Newcastle every year. It's arts and, and writers and drama happening all around the city in different venues. And uh, for this episode, I'll actually be talking to five different guests, which breaks the record that we had a while ago with Bondi Hipsters, where we talked to Bondi Hipsters and then the creators, creating four very different people. Today, you'll be hearing from Lawrence Lung, Luke Ryan, Jane Howard, and Alice Workman. But first, you're going to hear from Michelle Law, who is an award-winning writer and screenwriter. She's the co-author of the hilarious book, Shit Asian Mothers Say, with her also writerly brother, Benjamin Law. Uh, and her work has also appeared in Destroying the Joint, Women of Letters, Growing Up Asian in Australia, and numerous Australian literary journals. And she's here with me today in not the most ideal circumstances, might I say. It's literally a hole in the wall, and we're surrounded by uh, a discarded Apple TV, Ethernet cables, and some sort of system. <laughs> and mothballs. A lot of mothballs. <laughs> we, we literally stopped on the street and asked a complete stranger to let us in here. And it, it's turned out to be, you know, the sound is fine. What do you say? Yeah, yeah it sounds, sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And you were just doing a talk at a, at a panel before here next door. What were you talking about? Um, we were talking about freedom of speech and hate speech and where, the, where you sort of draw the line when it comes to that. And... It was quite an interesting panel, but a really intense one because it's one of those things where nobody has the answers for anything. Um, there was one question that came up at the end that really sort of threw us all that was, you know, should acts of discrimination be punishable in some way to to curb it? Did you agree on everything? Uh, as in all the panellists agreeing yeah. uh, unanimously on something. Um, we all sort of wussed out a bit and said, um, you know, that writers really need to mediate their own work um, before it gets out and published. Um, and to be mindful of the material that you're working with and all the minefields surrounding that. So, so no one got violent? <laughs> Sadly, no. <laughs> we, we, we were hoping to solve all the world's problems, but unfortunately we didn't. <laughs> You've bought a song on Out of the Box by Sarah Blasco. Now, can you tell me a little bit about your feels regarding Sarah Blasco? <laughs> um, my feels regarding Sarah Blasco? I think it, she was important to me because she was the first artist that I actually really got into. I, I was one of those sort of late bloomers when it came to music in high school. I was always really more into books and TV and film. Um, and she was sort of the breakthrough artist for me and getting me into... Um, a whole other range of music. Uh, but the song that I'm going to be talking about today is a song of her first album, and it's called At Your Best. And um, it basically was important to me at a stage of my life where I was still at school, it was like later high school years, and just going through a sort of tumultuous time because I had really bad social anxiety at the time, and that was sort of compounded by the fact that I developed this autoimmune condition called alopecia areata. Okay, what, what does alopecia areata do to you? Um, basically, it's, uh, it causes your white blood cells to mistake your hair follicles as foreign bodies. So it attacks them, mistaking them as something that's dangerous to you in some way. Um, so you can either like, have bald patches or lose all of your hair, and in some cases, lose all of your body hair. Um, so that was something that was happening to me like during high school at the same time, which really sort of exacerbated that state of anxiety that I yeah. was living in. You definitely don't need that during puberty. This no. Is, no, you don't need anything extra. Curveballs, no. plenty. Too much. Uh, so I guess At Your Best was a song that I would listen to after school and on weekends. It's sort of an anthem to get me through it all, I suppose. Um, and some of the lyrics are, you know, if only... If only you were at your best instead of fighting yourself as well. And I think at that time I felt quite uh, at odds with everyone. You know, my peers, my teachers, they didn't really know how to deal with me and, that, and I myself didn't really know how to deal with what was happening to me. Um, and I felt quite voiceless at the time and this song sort of reassured me that things would get better and it would just take time but it would be okay. 
Thanks, Sarah Blasco. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. What a nice girl. No, you were you were quite a big Sarah Blasco yeah. fan. Did you have any Did you have any big run-ins with Sarah at any point? I did get to meet her um, when she performed at this indie record store called Rocking Horse in Brisbane in the CBD. Um, so I think she was performing songs of her first album, and I went with just this huge slew of um, merchandise for her to sign. I think I had her album, a shirt some badges um, and I, I brought along this issue of Yen magazine and that she was on the cover of and they did a feature on her and I think she was just sort of overwhelmed that I had brought this booty of goods for her to, <laughs> to, to be overwhelmed by but um how do you sign a badge I don't think I think I was where I was adorned with badges but I didn't get it to sign any <laughs> I think she was sort of just taken aback by me at first, but was quite gracious about it. And she, I remember she signed me on a good day and did a little arrow to her face in the magazine. Oh, fantastic. You're listening to FBI, Out of the Box. Sarah Blasco, Always Gracious. Here's a track from her. My guest right now in a tiny hovel somewhere in Newcastle in a little weird corner with AV junk, Michelle Law. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're tuned into Out of the Box on FBI Radio. And that just there was Sarah Blasco brought on the show by my first guest, Michelle Law. But now I've got another guest because we're on the road today with Out of the Box up at the This Is Not Art Festival in Newcastle. Now my next guest is Jane Howard. 
Jane didn't even bother with the whole studying journalism at uni thing, but ended up as an arts journalist with The Guardian anyway. And that's why I'm incredibly jealous of her. She's a writer, a critic, a researcher. Her work has also popped up on ABC Arts Online, The Lifted Brow and The Adelaide Review and Unmagazine. And she hails from Adelaide. But I'm meeting up with her at Newcastle right now for the This Is Not Art Festival, where a lot of great minds are gathering in early October. And you hear from some of them throughout the rest of the show. We've got Lawrence Lung coming up, Luke Ryan and Alice Workman to hear from yet. And uh, how was the trip up here? Uh, it was great. I went through Sydney, so I spent a few days there and then three hours on the train just sort of pretending I was going to work but really looking outside and watching the scenery. Yeah, pretend work is the best kind of work. It's really good except for when the deadline comes up for the pretend work, then it's less fun. Uh, not pretend deadlines. Yeah. No fun. So how did you end up being a journalist with The Guardian? Did you, did you not have an interest in journalism? Because I know you didn't study it. No, I did a science degree and then I realised at the end of that that I didn't want to be a scientist and I didn't know what I wanted to do. When I was studying, I had a blog and I did a lot of arts reviews for that. And when I left science, I started working in film as an administrator, but just kept on writing and writing. And I was really lucky that the right people started paying attention to me. And the way that I got to The Guardian, I think this is the path that I follow when I look back and try and figure it out, is I wrote a review of a work called A Comedy, which was by a Sydney feminist performance art collective called Brown Council. And then Brown Council invited me up to Sydney and I was a writer in residence on one of their shows. While I was a writer in residence on their show, I met the editor for ABC Arts Online and she invited me to write for her. And then The Guardian UK was sending out reporters to cover the Adelaide Festival and they needed an intern. So I applied for the internship with the ABC at the top of my resume I got the internship. I worked with them. Always at the top of the resume with the ABC. <laughs> Absolutely. So I worked with them for two and a half weeks on an internship. And then maybe three months after that was finished, Guardian Australia launched and I started freelancing for them. And it's been amazing. Fantastic. You just got to follow the trail, like put yourself in the way of important people. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, go review feminist performance art and you can write for The Guardian too. (laughs) But not all of you at once or else it won't be a thing that you can do to stand out. (laughs) Yeah, possibly not a path for everyone to follow. (laughs) All right. So you've got a song from Old Springs Pike to play for us today. And I've I've never heard of these guys. Are Are they still around? No, they... One of the members left a few years ago, they kind of disbanded and they rebranded as a new band called The Spring Standards. But so it was like 2006, 2009-ish, I think, that they were around in New York City. Cool. And so what's the story behind the song that you've put on? So they were my, one of my favourite bands, a little indie band that I found on the internet because that's what you do when you're 18. You're like, I'm going to be cool and find music that no one else is listening to. <laughs> I was exactly like that. I always, I always like followed the trail of going to people's MySpaces, like bands' MySpaces, artists' MySpaces, looking at their top eight friends and then going from there. It's, it's the top eight trail. And that's how I found like most of the good music that I still listen to today. Yeah, absolutely. This band was my sort of entryway band to a whole bunch of indie New York artists that I absolutely love and keep on finding new ones because they play sets with someone and I just like follow the shows that I'm not seeing. (laughs) But this time I was in New York with uh, my parents and my sister because my dad was going to a conference in Rhode Island so we went through New York on a family holiday and we're on a subway and my dad picks up a street press and he goes, oh, isn't this that band that you love? And I go, yeah, and he's like, they're playing tonight. Wouldn't you say anything? And I was like, oh, it's a family holiday. I didn't think everyone would enjoy it. I was trying to be the polite child. And my dad goes, no, let's go. And so we leave my mum and my sister at the hotel room. I think they went out for dinner or something. We get on the subway. We go down to NoHo to Joe's Pub, which is this little cabaret venue. And the 7.30 show has just started and the woman behind the counter is like, look, it's sold out. There's a 9.30 show. It's also sold out. You can try and come back, but I don't like your chances. But at this point, we've already committed to it. So my dad's like, oh, we'll come back at about 8.30 when the first show's finishing and we'll see just if there's any tickets. So we get back and as people are leaving the venue and my dad starts talking to the girl at the box office and there are posters all behind her and he's like, oh, I saw the Holmes brothers at WOMAD and I saw Luden Rainwright III at WOMAD and he's having this massive conversation with her about WOMAD, which is the... World Music Festival in Adelaide every two years at that point and now it's every year and she starts having this amazing conversation with him about all of the great bands that play at this venue and then she happens to find two tickets for us (laughs) (laughs) 
what a charmer. I know. He <laughs> totally did it. And so we buy the tickets and then we line up. And then I overhear in the line these people talking. And they say, well, if you buy a meal, then they sit you at the seat. So the way that this venue is set up, there's tables at the front and you're standing over the back. And so I turn to my dad. I'm like, we've already committed so much. I'm like could we maybe get a meal? And my dad's like, yeah, sure. So we get to the front of the queue. We're about to go in and they say, oh, are you going to have a meal? I'm like, yes. And we sit, like I am touching the stage where I am sitting. There is the table and there is the stage and our chairs are on, our sides are touching. And I look up, like my neck is strained the whole show, looking up at my favourite band, playing this crazy folk, rocky music. Uh, I fall in love with them all over again. And at the end of the show, I even steal the set list. Oh, wicked. <laughs> dad, what a hero. This goes out to Jane Howard's dad. Yeah, he's a, he's a good one. Thanks, Dad. All right, you're listening to Out of the Box on FBI. We're up at Tina in Newcastle. This is not art festival, in other words. And this is a track from Old Springs Park. It's called Still 16.
You are listening to a special out of the box edition on FBI 94.5. You just heard from my second guest of the day. That was Jane Howard and she bought on a track by Old Springs Pike. Hope you dug it. And now you're going to hear from a guy called Lawrence Lung, who you might have seen investigating haunted castles or driving blindfolded in his ABC series, Unbelievable, or solving a Rubik's Cube while skydiving in Choose Your Own Adventure. Lawrence Lung is a multi-award winning comedian and one of those stand-up shows for which he won an award is being turned into a feature film. Welcome. Oh, hello. Thank you. That's a really good introduction. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's... <laughs> That's that's pretty good. You've done your research on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm I'm flattered that you like it. Um, so how is the feature film going? It, it's sucker, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's uh it's going really well. We're in post production at the moment. So we're speaking of music. We're putting all the music together for the film, um, and then yeah, hopefully we'll release it sometime next year. And so what what's the idea behind sucker for those who haven't haven't seen your performance? Uh, it's I guess it's a storytelling um, stand-up performance, but it's it, it's about a time where uh, I really got interested in a lot of poker cheating, and I met this con artist guy. And so basically, the story in the film is a road movie uh, about a young chap who plays a younger version of myself, uh, Lawrence Lung in inverted commas. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really strange. <laughs> so you know, we're trying to get George Clooney, but he wasn't available. So um, we've got John Luke, who's a, a wonderful actor. And and a, and a YouTube star, and Lily Sullivan, who's in the Australian movie Galore, and Timothy Spall, who's from the Harry Potter movies. He plays Peter Pettigrew. Uh, although a lot of people also remember him from all those Mike Lee films. So he's an excellent UK actor. Uh, he's actually just won Best Actor in the Cannes Film Festival. So um, hopefully that will help us get some international distribution for this film. I've actually never seen him without the Peter Pettigrew makeup on. So this is going to be really exciting to watch. Yeah, he's walking around our film dressed like a little rat, I guess. <laughs> a little rat face man. No, he's not. Uh, he was a lovely man and a fantastic actor. So you've, you've managed to make a life and a career out of basically a lot of the time just doing stuff that you were dreaming about when you were younger, like with your Choose Your Own Adventure yeah. series. So is there anything that stands out as being the absolute highlight of all of those childhood dreams coming true? I, I don't know if there's an absolute highlight because each one is, it just blows my mind in different ways. Um, one of them was trying to find my um, primary school crush from grade three because I was moving house and I found some boxes at my parents' place which had uh, old le- love letters. And it wasn't a love letter, it was just like a little note that I'd written to this girl who had to go home because she had lice in her hair. And then I, I wrote a letter when she came back saying, I know people aren't allowed to be close to you because if you've got lice you have the kids have to be within like a three meter radius but I said it's okay if you can you can sit next to me next to my desk and because I liked her and I didn't know what a love letter was but when I was as an adult looking back at this letter I went oh that's probably the first love letter I ever wrote but I was too embarrassed to give it to her I was too shy so after you know 20 or so years I thought this is what I'll do I'll go give it to her and so that is so nice yeah, it's nice or creepy. Uh, so yeah, you know, you know, fifteen to twenty years after primary school, uh, my documentary crew and I basically searched, search, uh, hunted her down, so to speak, and then I gave her the letter, and she was really shocked. <laughs> so, well, what was the first thing that she said to you when you gave it to her? I, I think she she recognised me because I explained it, and uh, but then she said, uh, "I'm married. I have kids now." <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that wasn't that, that was one highlight. But you know, also like jumping out of a aeroplane, solving a Rubik's cube in freefall, and I had to solve it before pulling the parachute. So that was a challenge. And uh, I'm alive. You're I'm here alive. today. So and yeah. and you didn't lose the Rubik's cube. I can imagine no, that. No, no. It was uh, the centerpiece of the Rubik's cube had one of those cable ties that surfers have to their surfboards. Because oh. uh, Rubik's cubes, the centerpieces of every side, they don't move around because they're the side that should be the face color of that particular face. So they stay in position. They just rotate on its spot. But what it meant was it made my cube solving, my speed cubing, as they call it, a lot slower. So. Uh, <laughs> and you're in a very definite time limit when you're falling from a bloody plane. Yeah, exactly. So I was practicing for weeks and weeks for this one moment. So um, yeah, so we managed to get that on, on, on camera. 
I mean, the interesting thing is, I think that um, here we are at the Writers' Festival in Newcastle, the National Young Writers' Festival, and it's really great to see people out there, you know, trying to turn their passions into a career. And in many ways, that's kind of what I've been trying to do all my life. Whenever I'm interested in something where it's trying to get a, a world record being a Rubik's Cuber, because that's what I wanted to do once upon a time when I was really little, or try to find my childhood crush or go to haunted castles and things like that, I think we can turn our passions, if we have the time, into, into hopefully into things that other people want to read or see or hear about. And so you did get in the Guinness Book of Records then? Did you get a world record? No, because after I, we posted it online, um, we found out <laughs> through... I should have just Googled it. On YouTube, there's a French guy who did it faster than myself. Oh, no. And he was like a professional um, uh, skydiver, so he was doing somersaults and all sorts of things as he was doing it. And I thought, what a Frenchy show-off. <laughs> a little bit crushed. Oh, I was devastated. So you've bought on a song today called Such Great Heights and, and there's a yeah. couple, of, couple of different versions. Which version do you have today? Uh, I have the original by the Postal Service. Um, yeah, this is a song, speaking of uh, crushes, I, when I lived in Sydney a few years ago, I, um, I, I met a, a girl and I gave her a mixed CD. Um, I used to be so obsessed with giving people mixtapes. That was my courtship technique. It's still effective. Well, I, I, I'd like to think so. Um, in this day and age of MP3s, it's, uh, I think it's, it's different to the art of the traditional mixtape where when it was on cassette tape, you'd make a box. But I remember the CDs where we used to even like draw an album cover and things like that. Well, I used to anyway. And, you know, I was, I was a pretty shy person and in many ways I still am now. And I thought the best way to communicate to someone was through the music that I loved because if they didn't like the music that I liked, then surely we're not meant to be. And there's a real art to the mixtape and I'm no expert, but I'm sure it's got something to do with uh, making sure that the lyrics aren't too creepy. So you can't have something by, I don't know, police with, you know, I'll be watching you or something <laughs> like that. Those are the only rules. <laughs> yeah, it can't be too creepy and it can't, it can't have the word love too much in the lyrics. It shouldn't be about love at all. It should be just about the music you love. So it's, it can't be romantic. It just has to be uh, the music that shows what uh, type of person you are. Because if, if they like it, they're hopefully going to like you. And I think it's also ideal to like have a little sense of cool in the mixtape. Just try, oh. to, try to preserve you, some sense of being cool. Have you made mixtapes? Oh, man, I make mixtapes all the time. What's the cool song that I should put on the mixtape? Oh, um, Hate Rock. I do like Hate Rock <laughs> because it's, it's sexy and cool yeah. and a little bit dark. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I made a mixtape for my, for, my my boyfriend when I left the country for three and a half months and yeah. I came back. We were still together. And <laughs> so, so we'd we known each other for about a month. And so we, we made mixtapes. He made some uh, theme yeah. mixtapes. Yeah, I made yeah. some mixtapes. And there was one called Sad Sexy Sounds for insert boyfriend's name here. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. embarrass him on the radio, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's good. You know, themed mixtapes, yeah. very important. Themed mixtapes are very important. I've got a friend who's made mixtapes for his own mum. So it's like, you know, music to water hydrangeas by and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, uh, Andrew McClellan, he makes the best mixtapes ever. He's a DJ, so he knows a lot about music. But with my mixtapes, I get really embarrassed whenever I have to put something sexy on. So I, I because it just makes me laugh. So I try not to put anything too sexy. I like things which are like fun and emotive and, and also hilarious. I, 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 Maybe a bit of careless whisper then? Yeah, a bit of careless whisper. <laughs> but I like to end, uh, one of them I ended it with um, Rainbow Connection by Kermit the Frog because, you know, it sort of goes, goes back to sort of nostalgia and hope and, and uh, dreaminess. And um, so I, I always thought you've got to put something funny at the end just so that they're not thinking you're taking this a bit too seriously. So the reason why I choose Such Great Heights, why I chose it, was because um, it was my favourite song at the time. I, I, I thought uh, with the Postal Service, with Ben Gibbard and the other guy, <laughs> uh, yeah, they were creating electronic music for people who love to listen to kind of indie folk pop basically. So it's electronic pop in a way. And yeah, it was a good, good crossover band. It was a good crossover. They only ever performed live, I think, once or like one tour. And it was, yeah, it was always meant to be just a studio project. And I think the album's 11 years old now. I think they celebrated their 10th anniversary last year. So it's incredible. It's a really old album, but it still feels contemporary and new. Like if you play a song, hear the song on a, on a dance floor now, people will still think it's a new song. Um, it's quite incredible. Um, so I really love this song. So I, 
I've always loved it, so I put it on this mix CD, um, gave it to this girl, and I think I, because I, she was a housemate of a friend of mine, I knew the address, so I sent it in the mail. And then I got text messages, and she really enjoyed it. And then um, we we got together, and that was cool. Uh, and then we broke up a bit later. I think, I think it was probably because... Um, uh, I was making a TV show where I was jumping out of planes solving Rubik's Cubes. Oh. And that, that's what that broke the relationship for you? Uh, I think it's because I was quite busy and I didn't have much time to see her because I was, like, travelling overseas a lot. And, um, and falling uh, from the sky. Falling from the sky. And, you know, she always liked how I had that sort of joyful, adventurous exuberism and, and um, exuberance and... Um, uh, and sort of like childlike wonder with, you know, obviously I was trying to relive my obsessions of the past to make these TV shows, but it's, it's true what they say where sometimes the thing that originally gets people together could be the thing that breaks them up because it also meant that I was flighty, not dependable, I was, uh, my head was in the clouds literally. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I was maybe just fickle with my time and, and with her because I was running around having adventures. Um, whereas she was at uni. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so uh, we broke up and I thought, okay, there's one way to get her back. I'm going to learn how to play Such Great Heights on the acoustic guitar because I know she has one in her room, and um, uh, but I can't really play guitar very well. So I had to borrow my brother's guitar and listen to the Iron and Wine version of Such Great Heights and, and try to play it by ear, trying to learn how to do the chords and then um, on my birthday, uh, she said, come over. I've made a birthday cake. So I came over and picked up her guitar, sat on the edge of the bed, and I started playing it. And I had learnt how to play it, and I couldn't play it very well. So it was kind of like, kind of like a really bad open micer. And the other thing was I had... I thought this was clever. I had changed lyrics in the song to have her name in it. Oh, dear. <laughs> Yes, oh dear is the correct sentiment because um, I don't think it worked. <laughs> well, it didn't work. We, we didn't get back together. So I think um, that went too far. So I think the moral to the story is mixtape's good, singing the songs from mixtape bad because, like, like I said earlier, it's going too far. Yeah, mixtape should be uh, aloof, sexy, cool, funny and cute. But you can't use it, uh, then play the songs off it on a guitar and hope to get back to us together with someone. You heard it here first on FBI 94.5. You've got to be aloof, cool and sexy with your mixtapes. Don't, don't go over the so top. Don't, and Don't learn the songs on guitar. Just, just, and don't put your loved one's name into the song. It's just... Oh, yeah, that's, that's probably a, a, an important one as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also learn how to sing and actually know how to play guitar. Yeah, lots of boxes to tick here. So you are listening to Out of the Box. My guest right now is Lawrence Lung. We're recording in a very ill-equipped little kitchen. Lots of lots of stacked up chairs. It's very luxurious, very community radio of us. Yeah, I love it. It's a uh, whoa, it looks like FBI. <laughs> oh, how flattering! And uh, I actually don't know what FBI looks like. <laughs> one day you will. Please do uh, come on Out of the Box next time you're in Sydney. I will. Woo! All right. And, uh, I'll bring my guitar as well. <laughs> exactly, we'll get we'll get you to play it on air, put a, put a name in or two in it. And uh, Ash, <laughs> perfect. What rhymes with Ash? Pash, Lash, Cash, Cash, Rash, oh, yeah. Rash. All mm. the good things. Yeah, yeah. Like we said, <laughs> <laughs> this is such great heights by the Postal Service. You listen to FBI.
postal service brought in by my guest on out of the box today one of many lawrence lung thanks to him for being on the show because this is all recorded up at the this is not art festival in newcastle it's part of the national young writers festival i've been talking to some fantastic folk today you heard from jane howard also you'll hear from alice workman after you hear from this guy my guest now is luke ryan who has his first book out this year it's called a funny thing happened on the way to chemo and it's a somehow hilarious read about the time he had cancer at 11 and the time he had cancer at 22 and he's written for the vine and the guardian smith journal crikey the age and many many more welcome and congrats on the book thank you so much ash it's an absolute pleasure to be here <laughs> pleasure to be here in a place that has a very strange low hum we've we've co-opted this tiny back room in this crazy like arcade building in Newcastle and how are you feeling about the vibes? Oh you know I just love a room filled with stacked chairs it just makes you feel like anything could happen you know a conference could break out at any moment. <laughs> Wild. All right so look I googled you and and Google gave me some suggestions. <laughs> Good to hear. Uh, doing your research, that is important. Like, Yeah, but Google beat me to it. I didn't even need to, to get to the end of writing a name. It gave me Luke Ryan, Luke Ryan Cancer, Luke Ryan Comedian. Great. So can I ask, do you ever get sick of kind of reliving your cancer experience for lols? Um, not necessarily. I think, I mean, I kind of have to accept it as part and parcel of the career direction that I have taken and my decision to, you know, try and milk something productive out of, you know, this otherwise pretty shitty experience. Um, so yeah, and I, I think also it's kind of in the nature of uh, storytelling as well, you know, like storytelling's so much the focus is on like, I guess, new audiences and new, like br bringing that story to them in particular and like giving them a singular experience. So, you know, rather than just getting bored of like playing the same thing, you kind of like have to focus on, I guess, the excitement and the energy you can get from like, you know, telling people about this thing that happened to you. True. And I guess, I mean, being able to make light out of something really dark is a skill that you can take anywhere. Mm, now I just need more dark things to happen to me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll see what I can organise. <laughs> oh, um, okay, so your book, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Chemo, I was doing the rounds. I'm seeing it under, under arms all over Newcastle streets. Great, that is very good to hear. My publishers will be happy. <laughs> Those are all your publishers out on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to generate a bit of buzz, you know? Like, ooh, this book by Luke Ryan is excellent. <laughs> It's very effective. I mean, that's, 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 you know, where I'm getting my excitement from. So, so what kind of response is it really getting that you're seeing? Are you hearing from people who've read it? Um, yeah, well, to be honest, the only people that, uh, or the people that do get in contact with me, are like the only people that talk to me. No, no, no. The, the people that do generally get in contact with me have been people that either have cancer at the moment or have been through it or have someone who has gone through it. And like, and I was kind of surprised by that because I think in the writing of it, I wasn't really sure how people who were currently, you know, having this experience might react to it, like whether it would be too close to home, whether it's the kind of thing they just do not want to talk about. Because I mean, in a weird way, even though like when I had cancer when I was 22, you know, I was doing stand up about it and performing it and kind of writing about it a bit on blogs and stuff. At the same time, I also did not want to address it at all. And like, you know, it would get quite resentful when you know, you'd be reading something in the paper and they talk about cancer and you're like, oh, come on guy. Like, I don't want to think about this, you know, or at least not think about it in anything except on my own terms. So well, yeah, it's more like a not again, don't impose this on Yeah, me. yeah, kind of like, so I kind of, I was like quite, um, yeah, I've been kind of warmly surprised by the fact that, you know, people have seemed to get quite a lot out of this story. And I think it is just because when you get diagnosed with cancer, you feel like you're sort of, without you doing anything, just placed into this completely separate social world. And people sort of change how they talk to you and they don't really necessarily know how to address it and all of that kind of stuff. And so I think people sort of quite like this experience of someone you know, talking about it from the inside, but in a very, un like in an unaffected, unadorned way, like, you know, in a way that's not like, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. Just like, in a lot of ways, cancer is quite a like, it's just a bizarre twist on normalcy. You know, your day-to-day -day reality is not that extreme. It's not that extraordinary. It's not that life-changing or life-threatening. It is usually just you kind of getting out and going, oh, well, here we are. I guess I'll head off to my radiotherapy session. Like, you know, there's a, nothing that kind of like unique about it after a while. And so, yeah, I think people have quite liked, you know, someone, I guess, talking about the weird day-to-day -day ritual of it in a, you know, humorous way. You've brought in a song for Out of the Box today. Yes by M83. I'm, I'm very excited to hear this one and I'm very excited to hear why you brought it on. Can, can you give us a bit of an idea as to why this song has a 
particular meaning for you? Yes, um, and it has a lot to do with the gigantic tattoo across my shoulders. Um, when I was travelling in 2005, I, I went travelling for about six months or so, and um, you know, it was one of those very formative travelling experiences. Like I experienced the lowest moments of my life, and I also experienced the best. You know, I went through a lot, and I kind of came back feeling like I was a bit of a, a changed man. That I passed through something. That I found some new kind of clarity about my place in the world. And across the course of those six months, I had become obsessed, like beyond obsessed with M83's Run Into Flowers. Like I listened to it so much. I, I cannot emphasize to you how much I listened to it. You know, it's like every, it was the soundtrack to every moment. You know, like the death the joyous, the hungover, like it was just there, this ever-present thing. I was always coming back to it. I was evangelizing to other people about how much I love this song. I just could not get enough. So anyway, I came back and, you know, with this full of new self-awareness and I decided I needed to do something big and bold to kind of celebrate, you know, my independence. And so I decided to get a tattoo because that's the kind of original guy I am. Like, yeah, I'm a rebel. Like, <laughs> Uh, so I decided to get a tattoo and it took a while to think about it and what I wanted and I definitely wanted words and I wanted something like, you know, from music and of course it was going to be M83's Run Into Flowers and if you're familiar with the song, um, the second half of it is run through with this couplet uh, that like goes, uh, give me please some chemicals, I want to run to you. And it's a very sort of sonically intense song, you know, a lot of like crashing cymbals, big synths, distortion, vocals, like it's overwhelming in such, you know, in so many ways. Uh, but, you know, these words, I just like, that were kind of, I guess, this weird motto for the whole time. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get I Want to Run to You tattooed across my shoulders. And so I did. And I like decided how I was going to get it done. Um, you know, I decided on the font, Gil Sands Ultra Bold. Uh, I decided on the uh, font size, fucking huge. Did, uh, did you actually go through, like, did you open up Microsoft Word to look at the fonts? Is that how Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Ariel, no. Helvetica, no. Gil Sands, no. Gil Sands Ultra Bold, just right. Uh, <laughs> Um, and so, you know, I, I, I went down and I to this tattoo shop and I like got it done. It took about two hours. The shoulders are quite a large surface area to get tattooed and it sort of stretches from shoulder blade to shoulder blade the whole way across. Um, but it got it done and I loved it. I truly loved it. Like, if, like I sort of remember standing there checking over my shoulder in the mirror and just the letters so bold and black and like still rimmed in blood, but it was just like felt like something that was so definitively mine. Uh, and so over the weekend... I just like showed everyone, you know, I was just like taking my shirt off at parties and stuff. Like, Check out what I got done. Uh, and you know, everyone's like, Ooh, ah, uh, you know, that is a huge tattoo. I'm like, I know, right? Like how cool am I? Um, and so this was like, you know, for the first few days I was pretty happy with it and everyone seemed very impressed with my new tattoo. And then on the Sunday, I showed like a bunch of my friends and somebody just goes, Oh, like the Brian Adams song. I was like, what? You know, run to you. <laughs> what? I, I've never heard of that song. And someone's like, I'm pretty sure Whitney Houston has got a song called Run to You as well. I was like, Oh, God. No, that's crazy. Like, you know, well, who even cares if they do, you know? Like, because I'm going with the M83 version. Like, you know, I don't care what Brian Adams and Whitney Houston sung about in the late 80s. And then my friend Tim pipes up and he goes, You know what? I don't know if the lyrics in Run Into Flowers, are uh, I Want To Run To You. I, well, what are they then? He goes, I'm pretty sure that I want to run in too. And it was just that moment of realization that, holy shit, of course it's I want to run in too. It, flowers, the song is called Run Into Flowers. Oh, like, no. And like, you know, and then he puts it on and as soon as he starts playing it, he's told me, and it is just so cripplingly obvious. It's I want to run into. Like, oh, no. how did I miss this? Like, and I had done research because, like, you know, there had been a bit of an ongoing thing, and I was like, I want to make sure. And you know, the internet was still in a bit of a more nascent phase at that point, and so no one had the lyrics, which were only two lines anyway, to run into flowers. I couldn't find it anyway, so I just trusted my instincts and went with I want to run to you. And then, yeah, I got it wrong, and that's how I've ended up with a Brian Adams slash Whitney Houston lyric tattooed across my shoulders for all eternity. Like, that was my moment of originary rebellion, you know? And this is why I'm just not a rebellious type, you know? I was always a good child growing up, and I think, like, you know, this is my first moment of, like, yeah, come on, I'm going to do something against the grain and unexpected. And it just backfired so horrendously, like... Never again. <laughs> Never, ever again. Never, ever again. But it is that strange thing, you know? Like, 
I was talking to a friend afterwards when I was telling her about, you know, what had happened and the fact that this had been, now I've got this wrong lyric tattered across my back. And she went like, but think about it. If you had found out on the day, just before you went in, what the words were, like, would you have changed it? And I was like, you know what? I, I might have thought, about, thought twice about actually getting the tattoo, but I probably wouldn't have changed it because the thing is, that particular version of it, this misheard version of it, like wrong as it was, was the thing that meant so much to me across all of these journeys. And it's kind of like always this weird, like, I don't know, poetry to the fact of like, you know, tattooing something so wrong across your shoulders, but it's just kind of the like the misheard thing that I was in love with and this misrecognition of something pure. And it's just like, I don't know, it has this kind of like nice resonance to it. I, lo- I Like, I still really love this thing I have tattooed across my shoulders, even if when people see it for the first time, they're just like, oh, the Brian Adams song. You're like, oh, <laughs> no, it's this M80. No, don't worry. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. The Brian Adams song. Like. Big, big Brian Adams fan. <laughs> Look, at least it's completely wholly yours yeah no one can take that away from you absolutely like you know it's something that is particularly mine particularly built from my memories and particularly built from my failed sense of hearing (laughs) fantastic and at least you've got a good story out of it so i mean we're gonna hear m83's run into flowers now and you can see what you think of the lyrics whether it is patently (laughs) obvious that it's run into i still maintain it's very hard to tell All right, you're listening to FBI 94.5. This is Out of the Box. My guest right now, Luke Ryan, with a M83 track to give to you.
run into flowers. A song that my last guest, Luke Ryan, got uh, tattooed on his back, except he got the lyrics wrong. We had a lot of other great stories from Michelle Law, Jane Howard and Lawrence Lung on the show today. And if you want to listen back, you can go onto FBI On Demand and listen back to the show. And all of these interviews were recorded in Newcastle for the National Young Writers Festival. But uh, sadly, Alice Workman, true to her name, had to go to work. So she's gone back to Parliament House to report for Triple J's Hack, which is a pretty cool day job, I think. And uh, we run out of time anyway. So we've got one more song. So now we've got Centrum by Jonathan Johansson to take us up to the hour when Beth Dalglish is going to come in and serve you up some sweet tunes for lunch. And uh, this one I, I really love because it's the perfect tune for being on trains to It builds beautifully. It's immaculate. And it's all in Swedish, so hopefully that doesn't offend. My name's Ash Berdebez, and this is Out of the Box on FBI. It's not Oh, oh, oh. 
the box. Out of the box. Out of the box. Out of the box. Meet people through their music. With Ash Bertabez on FBI.